This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. is now fully underway and we're taking a look back at the year 1981. I was now five and starting to embrace some of the new cartoons and toys and things related to pop culture that began to be available. Like 1980, 1981 still exists as a carryover from the 70s. The first few years of any decade are as much about the decade prior until the new decade establishes itself. But 1981 was starting to show little glimpses of what the decade would be. So that's what we're going to look at here today, an overview of the year 1981. I'm Jamie. This is the Everything 80s Podcast. Thanks for coming on out. And I did a few episodes back an episode all about the year 1980. And my plan is to cover each year of the decade, looking at it more from a pop culture standpoint as far as the movies, the TV shows, the sports, the big pop culture moments. But I'm going to have these sort of sporadically released. It's not going to be like one long series. So I'll just plug them in every now and then. So before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there. Okay, let's get right to this. So I'd recommend to go back and find that episode about 1980 just to get yourself established and set for what the decade is about to bring us. When we look at 1981, this is the era where Ronald Reagan and a lot of his politics are starting to slowly take shape, specifically his deregulation of many industries. And that's leading to a new sort of wild west of commerce and finances People would soon accumulate vast amounts of wealth through the stock market, and this would eventually give rise to the yuppie culture. But as I mentioned, we're not quite there yet. 1981 is still a relatively gritty time, as that influence from the 70s is still very prominent. And again, we're going to look at all the big pop culture things, but it's important to look at some other notable moments from 1981. We obviously don't have time to cover everything but here are a few select things from that year that are worth making note of. We've got the ending of the Iran hostage crisis. That was in 1981. The post-it note was invented and launched in 1981. This is when the AIDS virus was first identified. This was the time Walter Cronkite signed off the evening news for the last time. This is a complete coincidence with the release of this show, or actually when I record it, but... 1981 was when Ronald Reagan was shot in Washington by John Hinckley Jr. And John Hinckley Jr. was just pretty much fully released as far as I know. I was just seeing that on the news before I was recording this. So like complete coincidence with the timing of both of these things. If we look at the average cost of a new home, it was around $78,000. 
average monthly rent was about 315 and a gallon of gas cost $1.25. Those are always sort of the good, notable um, sort of vantage points to sort of compare years and decades, you know, looking at homes, rent, gas, that sort of thing. So when it comes to society and pop culture, there was one event that surpassed everything. This, of course, is the wedding of the century. To me, the real wedding of the decade and the century was when Miss Piggy married Kermit in The Muppets Take Manhattan, but that movie wouldn't be out for a few years. This big wedding was, of course, the Diana Prince Charles wedding that took place on July 29th. This was one of the golden eras of the royal family, and they had yet to face the turmoil and scandal that would happen in the coming years. For the moment, this was the fairy tale wedding come to life, The world was still enamored with the royals and especially Diana. This wedding was the definitive world event. There are a few reminders of how glamorous and, you know, spellbinding the lives of others, you know, celebrities and royalty can be. But this was a great example. And I think people watch to embrace that glamour and that excess, really. And a lot of people watch Somewhere around 750, or sorry, 750 million people tuned into this wedding. That is an absurd amount of people, and it shows the power and the influence held by the royals at the time. If you've listened to this show before, I've mentioned I'm half English. I grew up between Canada and England. My mom is English. So this wedding was a big deal in my family, and I remember it very well. I remember specifically the length of the train on Diana's dress. And it felt like we were watching a movie. Like this didn't seem like real life, but it wasn't fictitious. This was really happening. Again, it's tough to look back on all this now, as we know all the tragedies that would unfold. But for this period of time, it was like this real life Camelot. As we look at some other big pop culture things, this is probably the other defining moment of 1981 that would go on to be a massive influence on the entire decade and the coming decades. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. This is it. Welcome to MTV Music Television, the world's first 24-hour stereo video music channel. This, of course, is the changing landscape of music. And the launch of MTV was, again, one of those definitive moments of not just a decade, uh, but 1981 specifically. This new music television completely changed how we consume media. It launched new bands, styles of music. It made an artist's visual representation more important than ever. Bands now had to pay close attention to how they promoted themselves, and appearance was critical. Many bands were left in the dust because they couldn't translate their brand over to music videos. And I've done lots of shows about the history of MTV. You can go back and check. And I recently did an episode where I count down the top 
from my perspective, the top music videos of the 80s, and has another little look at MTV. What's notable about that and with MTV and the growth of it, as I mentioned, you know, some of these bands from North America might not have been that easy on the eyes. So again, they had trouble translating over to a visual medium. This wasn't a problem for bands from England, though. British music had been using short musical clips on shows like Top of the Pops for years. These British bands were all too familiar with the importance of videos and easily adapted to the new MTV movement. Bands like Duran Duran and Depeche Mode embraced the new medium and another British invasion began to happen in America. And I covered this before, but the concept of the music video, again, is quite simple. And like a lot of our musical influences over here have its roots in England. And not surprisingly, the Beatles are the ones that are really behind the creation of the first music video because of their immense popularity during a time where they couldn't be everywhere at once. Travel was still relatively difficult. So flying to New Zealand or Australia to perform just wasn't in the cards all the time, but they presented an option. They would record themselves performing their latest songs so people in other countries could still get some Beatles content. This grew throughout England and other bands copied the format and it gave rise to shows like Top of the Pops. As I mentioned, growing up in England, I watched that all the time. And in England, there's a big importance uh, for years of the Christmas number one. The number one song during the Christmas period was, you know, noted as the most popular song of the year. So those things all went kind of hand in hand. So with MTV itself, like many new innovations, it was heavily criticized and it was seen as too niche and it was seen as being a pipe dream like there's no way this thing's gonna last we all know you know the end of the story here it was a far cry from that it changed you know the medium of television forever and changed the pop culture landscape it also gave us new artists like madonna and cindy lopper and boy george and george michael and and people just who made great use of the visual media. Michael Jackson, of course, he was already relatively a big star before MTV, but MTV just sort of put it into another level. So I recommend going back and, you know, listening to that episode that goes much more in depth in the history of MTV. It's quite interesting. So let's transition into some notable movies from 1981. We're slowly getting into big blockbuster territory by this year. We've had some enormous hits already with Jaws, Star Wars, and The Empire Strikes Back. I did a show recently, one of my favorites I've ever done, where I rank each summer of the 80s to see which one was the best as far as some of the big blockbusters. And some of those earlier years really do hold up. In 1981, there weren't a ton of big blockbuster hits, but there were a couple very significant movies from this year. This is a big one, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and proof that Harrison Ford and George Lucas could do no wrong for the time being. Indiana Jones was a brand new swashbuckling hero starring Han Solo, but despite being of the same influences that Saturday afternoon serial matinee like Star Wars was, Indiana Jones created its own mythology despite using a recognizable star in Harrison Ford. Raiders of the Lost Ark is another throwback to those 1930s Buck Rogers action-adventure movies. 
The character of Indiana was great, and the movie featured intense action, Nazis, biblical mythology. Some of the special effects don't hold up today, but they were there to serve the story instead of being in there for technology's sake. And for that reason, I think they work. Raiders of the Lost Ark was a massive hit, earning $385 million. That's a lot even today, but when you convert it for inflation, that's over a billion dollars. Besides being a massive financial success, it was a critical hit too. And it's crazy when you watch this movie to think it came out all the way back in 1981. If you want a little more on Indiana Jones, I did an episode not too long ago about if Indiana Jones was actually based on a real person. And spoiler alert, there are three potential real-life people that he could be based on. This also shows the power of Harrison Ford. If there's one actor who I think owns the decade, it's Harrison Ford. The fact that he's already in this once-in-a-lifetime iconic role as Han Solo, and he's still able to distinguish himself with Indiana Jones. Then he's in like giant cultural defining blockbusters like Blade Runner. It's just amazing the work he did in the 80s. The other movie I think is very notable, and you might not be with me on this one, but I'll explain why. It's The Great Muppet Caper. And say what you want, but I think this is the best of the Muppet movies. And honestly, some of Jim Henson's best work he ever did. With The Great Muppet Caper, Henson took the concept of The Muppet Show and put it on the big screen. It's what, remember for the time being, The Muppet Show was the most watched show on earth. It was shown in more countries than any other show. This movie is wacky, it's hilarious, it's full of great music, and it's a traditional great spy caper. They took the movie across the pond to England, where The Muppet Show was actually filmed, and put together a movie where everyone involved is firing on all cylinders. The Muppets as a franchise, because of The Muppet Show and its worldwide success, had really come into their own. They were now world famous and embraced this with the grand musical they released in 1981. I think what makes this such a great Muppets offering is it's the only movie that was directed by Jim Henson, and you can feel his touch and influence all over this film. To me, it's the best thing they ever did, with The Muppets Family Christmas being a close second. Hopefully you've seen that. I'll cover that at another point. So that's two ones that I think stand out. And like I said, 1981 wasn't big yet with the massive blockbusters. They they weren't yet about, you know, overloading the year and the summers with all these gigantic hits. Movies were given more time to breathe. They could really space them out, let them have longer runs. But here's some other notable movies from 1981. Heavy Metal, remember that one? Chariots of Fire, For years, Your Eyes Only, uh, On Golden Pond, which like dominated everything that year when it came to the Academy Awards. Superman 2, and The Cannonball Run. Sorry, when I meant on Golden Pond dominated the next year's Oscars. So let's look at the Oscar winners for 1981. And this is related to the Reagan thing because the entire ceremony was postponed because it was the same day Reagan was shot. When the awards eventually came out, we had for Best Actor, Robert De Niro in Raging Bull, Best Actress, Sissy Spacek for Coal Miner's Daughter, Best Picture was Ordinary People, and the Best Director was Robert Redford for Ordinary People. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's switch gears and look at the music of 1981. We covered MTV and how important it was uh, in the growth of pop music, but let's look at a few specific things from this year. We still have that new wave sound going on thanks to the influx of British talent. Disco has pretty much died a slow death. And of course, as mentioned, Michael Jackson and Madonna have risen to absolute prominence. There are some massive songs that came out this year, and they stretch over a wide variety of genres. It's really hard to define the sound of the era as we really weren't quite there yet with a specific definitive 80s sound. What we have in 1981 is a mishmash of different styles and sounds, but there was something for everyone. Case in point, the number one song of the year was Betty Davisized by Kim Carnes. Rounding out the top five, we again have a wide variety of talents. At number two was the classic Tainted Love by Soft Cell. I feel this this is a great trivia question. Everyone knows the song Tainted Love, but very few people can actually name the band. Soft Cell, that's your trivia for here. At number three was Phil Collins with In the Air Tonight. At number four was the recently deceased John Lennon with Woman. And rounding out the top five was Stars on 45, which I have no idea what the hell that was till I had to look it up. Let's look at the top selling albums. We had... Double Fantasy, John Lennon, Yoko Ono, High Infidelity by Ario Speedwagon, Paradise Theater by Styx, Escape by Journey, Tattoo You, The Rolling Stones, For Those About to Rock, We Salute You, ACDC, Belladonna by Stevie Nicks, Precious Time by Pat Benatar, and Long Distance Voyager by The Moody Blues. So you can see what I mean about the wide range of styles and genres just in those highest selling albums. And even in that top five, I mean, just look at these, you know, between the top five songs and these highest selling albums, you've had classic rock, you have a Beatle, you have folk music, and you have an aging legendary band in the Rolling Stones. Let's look at some technology and specifically some video games from 1981. That, of course, is the theme song from Frogger. And I don't know about you, but I cannot not picture George Costanza getting the arcade across the street in that episode of Seinfeld. When it comes to video games, Atari still ruled the roost in 1981. They were going strong coming out of the 70s and really hitting their stride in the earlier parts of the decade. As far as specific video games go, we had some big entries in 1981, including Donkey Kong, that George Costanza favorite Frogger, Centipede, Tempest, Galaga, huge games. It's important to note that most of these are, are, are arcade games, as that was still a big part of life in the early 80s. Not everyone had an Atari, and those that did often made note of how they just weren't as good as the arcade versions. Pac-Man was a notable example of this. The Atari version was okay, but it didn't translate over into the home video game experience as well as many had hoped. Articles were still the big dog, and they were also the social spot for most kids. 
The arcade is where you socialized, networked, and showed off your abilities. People were too young to get into bars, obviously, but the arcade still combined many of the aspects of a night out at a bar without throwing up in the urinal. I mean, I guess that still happened, but it was usually from too much like Dr. Pepper and Cheetos. In other areas of technology, things are starting to heat up when it came to the PC. We now had the Apple II, along with entries from IBM, the iconic Commodore 64, and the ZX81. It's crazy to look back on the limitations or advancements at the time, depending on how you want to look at it, but, you know, both of those things regarding the technology. These computers boasted about having 16K of memory. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, you, you have more technology in like a greeting card with a built-in little audio, you know, plays happy birthday to you and stuff like that. Side note, I've mentioned this before on the show. If you want to see sort of the evolution and progression of this early sort of 80s age of computers, that's not specifically linked to Silicon Valley, a lot of the evolution of the computer industry happened through Texas and Dallas and stuff. And there's a show on AMC called Halt and Catch Fire. And it really shows you what those early days of the PC were all about and how they evolved into, you know, the first web browsers. And it's pretty amazing. It's a very unknown and underrated show. It's very Mad Men-esque. I mean, nothing can top Mad Men, but it's kind of in that sort of vein and tries to, you know, maybe it's a little derivative of Mad Men, but still, it's a fa- it's a drama, but it's, you know, based in this real-life world, even though it's a fictional setting, but showing the progression and the growth of this, you know, gigantic industry. Speaking of TV shows, this transitions nicely. Let's look at the important TV shows of 1981. And as I mentioned in the episode about 1980, and I'll mention in probably every episode in the 80s, it can't be overstated how significant TV was in the decade, especially the early to mid-late-ish decade. Definitely the first half. There were only three networks and really no other form of entertainment besides the movies. VCRs weren't commonplace yet, so you weren't renting movies and taping things off TV to rewatch later. It was all about live TV. TV shows were big events that created a collective viewing experience that everyone got to experience together. Today, besides live events, those days are pretty much gone. I don't think I watch any live TV. I mean, I DVR it and I've got a good DVR recorder that, you know, I can pause live TV and I can rewind it and I start shows later so I can fast forward through the commercials. I mean, and besides obviously all the stuff we stream, you know, live TV, besides for me, besides sports, there's really not a lot, you know, we check out besides whether it's like the Olympics or the Oscars. But here's a couple notable shows that debuted in 1981. Give me a break. Hill Street Blues, The Smurfs, Dynasty, The Fall Guy, and Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Now let's look at the top 10 highest rated shows for 1981. At number one, that owned this part of the decade, Dallas, with a 28.4 rating. These ratings are like astronomical, like nothing would touch these today. But like I said, there's only three networks, so there's a good chance you know, at least a third of the viewing public is watching that night. Number two, 60 Minutes with 27.7 rating. Number three, The Jeffersons, a 23.4 rating. Number four, The Beloved Three's Company, 23.3. I never realized it was that high of a rated show to look back on this. Number five, Alice, 
22.7. Tied at number six, The Dukes of Hazard and Too Close for Comfort, 22.6 rating. Number seven, ABC Monday Night Movie, 22.5. Remember when you know TV movies were a big deal and you'd plan the whole week around them and um, you'd have to you'd hopefully know months ahead and you know because you couldn't rent these things, you had to wait till they came out on TV. You might be too young to understand what that means, but that was a big thing. Number eight, MASH, 22.3 rating. Number nine, so technically number 10, One Day at a Time, 22.0. Okay, let's look at some major sporting events from 1981. There's always a bit of a letdown coming off an Olympic year. The Winter Olympics of 1980 gave us one of the greatest sports moments in history with the Do You Believe in Miracles upset of the Russians by the Americans in hockey. That's not to say there weren't any significant sporting moments in 1981. Far from it, actually. Here's just a few highlights. Larry Holmes defeated Trevor Burbeck to win the WBC heavyweight title. Tom Watson won the Masters. Bill Rogers won the British Open. David Graham won the U.S. Open. John McEnroe won, the, won Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Bjorn Borg won the French Open. Here's something coming off of Wimbledon this year. Um, or sorry, the U.S. Open this year. I never realized Bjorn Borg retired when he was like 26 years old and he had already won 11 Grand Slams. You can only imagine if he had played till like 35, how many he would have won. He might have been untouchable as far as, you know, overall Grand Slam wins. Chris Everett won Wimbledon and Martina Navratilova won the French Open and the Australian Open. 1981 would also continue the dynasty of the New York Islanders when it came to hockey. The 80s, we're all about dynasties when it came to sports. And I kind of miss those days. I know they want to make leagues have more parity and have, you know, a wider range of champions. But I like the days where there's a dominant team that it becomes this sort of epic spectacle. And either you love them and want them to keep going or you just want to see someone knock them off. That's what the 80s was all about. In hockey, the Islanders ruled the ice. It was a few years before the Edmonton Oilers would emerge as the next 80s dynasty in hockey, but for the time being, the hockey world centered on Long Island. So they won the Stanley Cup that year. Here are the other champions in the big four sports in North America. NBA championship was won by the Boston Celtics. The Super Bowl was won by the Oakland Raiders. And the World Series was won by the LA Dodgers. So I'll start winding it down here. That's a look back at the year 81. It had some very significant moments as related to pop culture and society, and specifically for movies and video games and music. The decade is starting to also become more technological with the advancement of the PC. They were still a bit foreign to many people, but we were understanding their importance. It wouldn't be long before they took up a natural place in homes across the country. I think, again, yeah, That besides the Diana Charles wedding, I think... 81 has to all be about the launch of MTV. This was a pop culture earthquake that happened and created a new movement, not only in music, but in the culture itself. And as we finish, I want to give a shout out to the Patreon of the week. And this is Jim from Iowa. And these are the top, I'll talk more about Patreon in a second, but these are the higher level supporting patrons. And I want to give them shout outs with a little bit of bio about theirs, you know, some of their favorite things from the eighties. And also, you know, for you as a listener, just to get an idea what fellow listeners are into and some of the things you may share or have in common. So just asking a few favorites. So for Jim, favorite movie, um, as usual, I mean, you can't narrow these down to one. So a few favorites here, Ghostbusters and the Lost Boys. Awesome. He has War Games as a close third. 
I've got to do a show all about war games. There's, there's so many things I have coming down the pipeline, but war games, definitely. Favorite TV shows, Magnum P.I., The A-Team, and MacGyver. Other things I will definitely be covering. Favorite musical artists, Prince and the Revolution, Tears for Fears, and Genesis Phil Collins, which 1981 was a big year for him. Favorite cartoon for Jim, Mr. T, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. See, this is all, the synchronicity here is all perfect. 81, the year this uh, Spider-Man debuted. Also, Thundercats and DuckTales. Great call there. Favorite video game, Atari Mega Mania, Pole Position, and Asteroids. And then a good bonus here. Favorite breakfast cereal, Apple Jacks, Golden Grahams, and Cookie Crisp. And for me, Apple Jacks and Golden Grahams, definitely the top of my list. Where I lived in Canada, we didn't have access to Cookie Crisp. So seeing that one still hurts to this day because we saw the commercials. There was nothing I wanted more than to eat cookies for breakfast, but we didn't get Cookie Crisp here. But that's Jim. So shout out to him. Thank you for being a top level Patreon. So Patreon is a way to support small independent shows like this for as little as like two bucks a month, but there's different tiers and with each tier comes different rewards. So like with this top tier, you get these shout outs and little bios. And then I have a middle tier, which is the Boba Fett tier that gives you access to the everything eighties movie club where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. And then on Patreon, I'll share, you know, we'll do things like Saturday morning cartoons where I'll post classic old cartoon episodes share old, you know, 1980s commercials. And then I also release the podcast on there early before it goes out, you know, worldwide on here. So if you want to learn more and interested, if you're in a position to support a show like this, head over to patreon.com slash 80. So P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash 80S or wherever you're listening, there should be a link that'll take you there. So that's it for me. Thanks for listening to this. I appreciate you being here. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.